Good morning for our scripture reading this morning. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we'll begin in verse 6 and read down through verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesus called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we need you this morning. Just ask that you would just show up in an unusual way today and these next several days that we have here to hear your word preached. Lord, I just pray that as you don't, we look on the outward appearance, you, you pay little attention to the outward appearance, but you, you look on the heart as you're as your word says here, Lord, I just pray that, again, you would touch our hearts in a, in a unique and an unusual way today and in the following days this week. Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be truly and completely broken for you. And Lord, I just pray that as, as, as we become broken before you, that you would just pick the pieces up and put us together so that we can serve you in a way that we've never served you before. Lord, I just pray in the name and through the blood of Jesus Christ that you'd bind Satan and his demons from distracting, from attacking, from, from being able to do anything that would put a stop to your purpose. Lord, we need you so badly and we ask for your power in, in this service and in the coming days. And Lord, we just pray that you'd fill Dr. Collier, Collier with your Holy Spirit and use him in a mighty way in an unusual way, in a way that we, we haven't seen, maybe never seen before. Father, we need you so badly again. And we rely on you and you alone. We, do, we cannot rely on ourselves for anything but for you to do it. And we just ask you to do it, Father, please. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, it's a joy to have Brother John Collier with us. We've been blessed already in the Sunday school offer or the Sunday school session this morning. And uh, our hearts have been stirred as we talked about faith. And uh, this morning, you listen carefully as he comes and preaches to us. Brother Collier served as a, an evangelist with the Bill Rice Ranch for a number of years, a uh, ranch that deals, deals with deaf and with hearing. And uh, God used him there in a mighty way. Then he went to, to 
I guess after that you went to Lavon Drive, didn't no, you? It was, it was before that. that. Was that Lavon Drive as a youth pastor, and then went to to Waco, Texas? I mean Waco, Texas, <laughs> and uh, served there I think for 49 years, I believe, and just a tremendous man of God. He's retired from the church there, so now we can get him here on a Sunday, and uh, we're glad he's here. You listen carefully as he preaches for us. Good. Thank you, preacher. First Samuel chapter. 16. I have thoroughly enjoyed the music. I, I enjoy good, good gospel music. I can't sing, but I know good music. My wife used to tell people, preacher's got a good voice, he just tears it up getting it out. <laughs> and uh, she... She was a musician and singers, as is my daughter. My son's like me. Uh, he can't sing either. But uh, I've enjoyed the, the music. I was thinking this morning, our brother who leads the singing, he's a police officer. Sheriff's Department? Police officer. Police officer, all right. I'm going to act like you're a state trooper, all right? <laughs> but... Uh, Heard a story the other day about in Texas, this state trooper pulled this older couple over. And the man rolled down his window, and the officer came up and he said, Sir, the reason I stopped you is you didn't have your seatbelt on. He said, Oh, yes, sir, I had my seatbelt on, but when you stopped me, I took it off so I could get my license and my insurance out. His wife said, Would you quit lying to him? said, You don't ever wear your seatbelt. You... You think it's a violation of your constitutional rights to have to wear a seatbelt when motorcycle riders don't have to wear a helmet. He said, would you be quiet? <laughs> he said, and sir, your right taillight's out. He said, yes, sir. He said, I'm on my way to the garage right now to have it repaired. <laughs> and she said, there you go again, lying to that man. He said, that's been out for four years. We're on our way to Walmart to buy groceries. He said, would you shut up? The officer said, ma'am, does he talk like that to you all the time? She said, no, sir, just when he's been drinking. <laughs> I don't know why I thought about Kentucky when I, when I heard that. Oh, mercy. Laughter doeth good as a medicine, doesn't it? 1 Samuel chapter 16 deals with the anointing of David to be the next king of Israel. The verse number 7 has been greatly attacked, misused, abused in the lives of so many people. Now, not y'all. We're talking about the folks that aren't here today, okay? That way I don't offend anybody. <laughs> Several months ago, I had a discussion with a young man. And we were discussing some areas of life that I feel are very important to us individually and to those who are watching us. The young man brought up a point 
that I have heard over and over through the years, and to be honest, have had to discuss in great detail on numerous occasions. And this young man, very bright young man, he stated to me, and I quote, God does not look at us outwardly, only at our heart. And he referred to verse number 7. It says that the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And if you look at that, verse number 7, if you look at it and analyze it, it does not say that God is only concerned about our heart. God is concerned about the whole person. God is concerned about who I am and what I do and how I do what I do, but He does look on the heart. I don't know, honestly, over these 60 years of preaching now, I don't know how many times I've been told that it does not matter what a person is on the outside because God looks on the heart. Now, I'm going to say some things that may offend you. But if it does, you take a half a baby aspirin and get over it, alright? Because I won't even need a half a baby aspirin. I want to be as kind as I can, but we are losing God's people being different from this ungodly world that we're living in. Several years ago, I was preaching a revival meeting in Greenville, South Carolina. We were going to leave that Friday night. Back then, our revivals went Sunday through Wednesday. Excuse me, Friday. And so I told Virginia Friday afternoon, I said, I'm going to go down to the car wash and I'm going to wash the truck and, and clean it up, make sure we are clean before we leave tomorrow morning or tonight after church. Had on my Levi's, had on an old shirt and a sweater and it was a little cool. Had an old flop hat on, had my cowboy boots on, my blue jeans stuck down in my boots so they wouldn't get wet. I went to that you remember these? The 25 cent car wash. They cost you $26 in quarters before you'd be able to wash your car and tr or truck. And so I'd wash my truck and I'd pull it out and had some towels with me and I was wiping it down, going to clean the windows. And there was a gentleman next to me and he had pulled out an older gentleman. He had pulled his car out and was wiping down. and I noticed he kept looking over at me. I thought he might be looking at my truck because it was a nice truck. It was a Ford one-ton dually and, and everybody loves Ford one-ton duallys. But anyway, in a few minutes he walked over and he said, Sir, could I ask you something? I said, Yes, sir. He said, Are you a preacher? I said, Well, yes, sir, I am. He said, I knew it. Just look like one. I looked down, had my blue jeans in my boots, an old sweater and flop hat on. I said, what do preachers look like to you? <laughs> he said, I, I can't explain it. 
It's just something about preachers. That ought to be said about every child of God. In other words, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whoever we're with, whatever the conversation is, we ought to be God's children at that situation and time. God's children don't act like this world. We're not citizens of this world. We are looking for a city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We're on our way to a new place. And we ought to live like we're already there. I had a thought, I don't have very many good thoughts, but I have one every once in a while. And I think that for you and me as believers, I think people ought to look at us and accuse us of trying to work our way to heaven. You ever heard somebody say, hey, he's just trying to work his way to heaven. We know we can't do that. But shouldn't they think we're trying? That we're loving Jesus and serving God and walking with the Lord and living in such a way no matter our age, no matter our background, no matter our vocation, no matter where we are, who we're with, we're never not God's child. And we're never not an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Never. We represent Him to this foreign land called earth. And we represent the government of heaven. And we need to be the right kind of representative. It's amazing when you think about what we worry about. So many of us worry about the outside, don't we? Uh, How do I say this nicely? Uh, Have y'all ever wondered why in ladies' dressing area they call it the vanity mirror? I used to kid my wife about that until she couldn't take it. But <laughs> all of us are vain to some degree. We are so concerned about the outside. But then we have ideals about what the outside ought to look like. Uh, we have an idea that it ought to be this way, it ought not be this way. And there is a philosophy in church work now that sounds so good on the outside but when you really stop and analyze it, it's not good. And that philosophy is this, just come as you are. It doesn't matter. Just come as you are. Now listen to me very carefully. If the best you have are Levi's or covered overalls, come on. Nobody's going to be turned away. But as a church, you and I are coming to fellowship together as God's children to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords and Almighty God who is our Heavenly Father. Don't you think He deserves the very best that we have? 
Whatever that may be, he deserves the best. Now, having said all that, I want to change gears, all right? God does look on our heart. Now, folk, I don't know about you, but that's scary to me. That God knows my heart. Doesn't care what I am out here. Now, doesn't mean He's not concerned about what's out here, but He's more concerned about what's in my heart. Can I be up front with you? I wish God would just look on the outside. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because sometimes people do things and it just jerks the spirit off me. They cut me off in traffic. God help them. If I wasn't saved, that nine millimeter would come out of my pocket. I'd blow all four tires out. And then I'd call the wrecker to come help them. But at least I'd feel better. I remember some years ago, uh, Brother Tim, have you ever met Steve Adams, my music guy? Brother Steve's about 6'6", weighs about 340, and got a deep bass voice, and he sings and does our music. Well, we staff, I was taking him to lunch one day, and we stopped by one of the businesses of one of our members for something, and Steve was driving the van, and I was sitting in front, and the other guys were behind us, and I looked, you know, Steve was backing out, and I looked down the road, and it was plenty of room. I saw a car coming way down there. Well, this guy comes by, and he was in a blazer, Chevrolet blazer. We were in a Ford van, and uh, everybody ought to drive Ford van. But anyway, uh, we backed out, and the guy got mad. He thought we'd pulled out too quick in front of him. So he comes alongside, and he's just mouthing off, and Steve just looks at him. We come to a stoplight. He rolls down his window, and he starts cussing. I mean, just cussing Steve. He had his little boy about four or five years old in the blazer with him, and, and, and the guy jumped out of his car, and Steve said, that's it. Steve threw it in part. I said, Steve. Steve came out. When he finally stood up, the guy was around the front. When he finally stood all the way up, that guy almost fell backwards trying, <laughs> trying to stop, and it didn't help matter because all of us started laughing. And he said, please don't back out in front of me anymore. Steve said, you better shut your mouth, get back in the car, and stop cussing in front of your little boy. That makes me mad. Yes, sir. He got back in his car. Steve got in. I said, Steve, do you feel better now? What do you think God thought about that? He said, I think God's all right with it. I said, I don't know, but I think He is too. <laughs> God looks on our heart. Again, that's a scary thought. God knows what I say, but He knows why I said what I said. God knows who I said it to, but God knows what I think about the person that I said it to. God knows what I'm doing at the present time, but He knows why I'm doing what I'm doing.
God knows as I sit in church, whether my mind is on what's being sung and what's being prayed and what's being preached, what's being taught, or whether I'm thinking about what restaurant I'm going to as soon as we're out of here, or I wish the preacher would hurry up and hush. It's time for us to go to lunch. It's time for me to get out in the afternoon and do things and we're playing. God sees our heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The songwriter said, how about your heart? Is it right with God? One of the great reasons that we are in the situation that we are in, the predicament we're in spiritually in our churches is because we're right on the outside, but we're not right in our hearts. The Bible says, with their lips they praise me, but their heart is far from me. How about our heart? Is it right with God? Not only is our heart important in our relationship to God, our heart is important in our relationship to other people. How about your heart, Dad, with your children? Mom, what about your heart? Is it right with your sons and your daughters? Or with the grandparents? Young people, what about your heart? Is it right with mom and dad? Is there anything that would keep God from hearing your prayer and answering your prayer because of disobedience or rebellion in your heart against mom and dad? The Bible teaches us in the book of Ephesians that children are to obey their parents and the Lord, for this is right. They're to honor their father and their mother, which is the first commandment with promise. There's two differences there. We're to obey our parents because it's right. We ought to do right because it's right to do right. You don't need a good reason. You need a good reason not to do right and you're not going to find many. We, We obey our parents because it's right. But then it says honor your father and mother. I'm going to give you Collier's idea there. Obey is just simply doing it. Honoring them is enjoying doing what they say. I'm this next April. I'll be 80 years old. There's a little country cemetery outside of Garland, Texas. I go there usually once or twice a year. Garland's my hometown. And my mom and dad are buried in that little country cemetery. And I go there just out of respect. They're not there. My mom and dad are in heaven. Have been for years and years and years. But I can go to that grave, young people, and I can look at those two graves And I can say, Dad, Mom, thank God, I never sassed you. I never talked back to you. Thank God I did what you told me to do. 
There were times when boys that I was with, Brother Tim, they were going to do some things that I knew would bring a shame on my dad and my mom. And I told them, let me out of the car. I can't do that. I wasn't even saved then. I wasn't saved until I was 19 years old. But I loved my mom and dad. I honored my mom and dad. I'm not good at very many things. But boy, one thing is, I honored my mom and dad. Now one of the reasons is, I've got to be up front with you young people. I scared death of my daddy. I really didn't fear my dad. It was what held his britches up. I have the belt, brother, that my daddy you spanked me with. I have that belt. I've, I've wanted to burn that thing so many times. My dad didn't spank me often, but boy, when he did, he made an impression on me. I have people sometimes come to me and they say, Pastor, preacher, do you, you think God's spanking me about something? I say, how do I know? But you know. How many times did your parents spank you and you had to say, are you whipping me? <laughs> they had a way of letting you know they were spanking you. Now in Texas, we call it whoopings. You get a whooping. What's that? That's worse than a whipping. I, I was told one time about how my dad spanked me. A lady came to me and she said, my daddy spanked me like that, I'd hate him. I said, no, you'd love him for stopping. <laughs> but the amazing thing is, God has honored me with my children because I honored my mom and my dad. If Wynn and Vonda were here right now and we were in a room and I walked in, both of them would stand up. Why? I taught them that's what I did with my dad. When my dad, I don't care how old I was when I was in his house, he'd walk in the room, I'd stand up. Why? He's my daddy. He provided for me. He loved me. He took care of me. He sustained me. He sacrificed for me. And I don't have really, I don't have trouble doing that with my parents or did not have because I realize what God has done for me. And I honor Him. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for it's right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. God looks on our heart. Right now, God sees your heart. I, I, I love the reality of God's presence with us. He said, as I mentioned in Sunday school, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. But He then takes it a step further collectively for you and for me as a church. Now don't miss this. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. Now, He is in us forever. Amen? But then he says, when two or three come together to worship me, I'm going to be in the midst of them. That means I'm going to be going in and out and around. What is he doing when he does that? He's speaking to your heart. He's bringing conviction. He's bringing leadership. He's trying to get our attention. 
He is trying to motivate us into a walk with Him that we didn't have yesterday. He is wanting us to grow in grace. He's wanting us to mature in our faith. He's wanting us to become more like Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that those that He did predestinate, watch it, He predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Conform, look it up, means take the shape of. Be like. I read a story some time ago about a missionary who went into a new area and as far as he knew there had not been any missionaries in that area. And he came to this village and went in and he met the chief and he knew the dialect. He talked to the chief and he said, I've come to talk to you about Jesus Christ. The chief said, Jesus Christ? He said, He lives here. He said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, oh yeah, I understand. He lives here. He said, could I meet him? He said, sure. They went down to this little house and sure enough, the missionary, old missionary came out. And the chief said, this is Jesus Christ. He said, would you stop that? I've told you and told you and told you I am not Jesus Christ. I represent him. The chief looked at the new missionary and said, he has done so much of what the Bible says about Jesus that we just call him Jesus. I wonder if they could say anything like that about me. About you. Conform to the image of his son. And you know, as David grew... God had said about him, David is a man after mine own heart. I've often wondered, what does that mean? What did God mean when He said, David is a man after mine own heart? It means that in all that David did, now we know David sinned. We know David had errors. And by the way, we do too. That doesn't stop us from God saying, you're after my heart. That means that you're doing actions and attitudes and things in our life that bring us into a walk closer with Jesus Christ. We're seeking after God. I know this is not possible, but I want you to get the picture. I think you and I ought to labor to walk so close to God according to Scripture. We do those things that are pleasing in His sight. We walk so close to Him that if Jesus were to stop, we'd bump into Him. Here's a sad picture. Again, not, not y'all. Folks that aren't here today, okay? The only time we really get serious about God is when we're here. When we walk through that door, we transform. We have fussed, bickered, argued all the way here. When we get our King James Bible and we get out of the car, 
Bless God, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And I think God's wanting to say, who are you? You, you, you who you were out there in the car. Don't leave me now, folk. We've got to get to a place to where we're so concerned about our heart. How God sees us in reality. How God looks at us. When we know that He forgives us, we know that we're saved, and we know we're saved forever. But what about our fellowship? What about our walk with Him? It's amazing when we realize that God is the God of the inside, yes, and outside, yes. He is more concerned about the inside than He is the outside. Don't ever forget that. But if you're right in here, you will be right out here. It's got to come out. Can't stay in. It's got to come out. It'll hurt you if you let it stay in. Oh, I hate to tell this, but I'm going to. I, as I mentioned a while ago, I wasn't saved until I was 19 years old. I, was, I played ball in high school, all kinds of ball. Had the opportunity to go to college and play college baseball. I didn't go to college. I lost interest in school. That didn't bother me. didn't surprise me. I lost interest in playing baseball. That did surprise me. I guess I just burned out. So I decided I'd get a job. And I told some friends of mine, I said, you know, I cannot wait till I get to be 21 years old. Because I'm going to go to a nightclub. I have never been to a nightclub. And I'm going to go to one. Now, I'm, I'm not going to tell mom and dad about it because I don't care how old I was. My dad might just almost kill me. But I'm going. I was 19, God saved, and I've never been. Never missed it. Never have a desire to go. God changed my wanter when I got saved. I remember I was working for the electric department of the city of Garland, working on a line crew. I was going to be a lineman, climb those poles and work. My brother, older brother, was a lineman. I mean, he made big money. So I was going to do that. Huh? I just thought about this. Climbing the pole under a lineman, he'd go up first. His name was Doug, Doug Lundy. He'd go up and he'd safety off and then I'd come up and I'd always have to safety above his belt so if I slipped, he'd catch me. And I, I remember, boy, I'd throw that belt around that D-ring and I'd put it in there and I'd jerk that thing seven or eight times. I had a fear of leaning back and saying, whoop! And he'd go off that pole. And then I did that. And then I'd lean back with Tim and then I'd start working with one hand on the pole. Can't get a lot of work done. Doug kept saying, let go of that pole, that belt to hold you. And I said, no, I'm, I, I got it. Don't worry about it. I climbed up the pole one morning. I threw my belt around, jerked it, jerked it. I didn't know it. He took a loop out of that belt, 
was holding it in his hand on the opposite side of the pole. He said, now, let go of that pole. So I said, all right. He said, now, raise your hands. I said, both of them? He said, I, yeah. I raised both my hands. He let go of that belt. I thought I fell 48 feet. <laughs> I fell about that far. My heart came up in my throat. And I looked around and I said, if I live over this, I'm going to kill you when we get down from here. He said, see, that belt to hold you. So I was going to be a lineman. January of 1962, revival meeting at our church. I was lost. I was lost as Hitler. But I went to Sunday school. I went to morning service. I went to Wednesday night because I was living at home. And Daddy said, you live here. You eat my food. Sleep in my bed. You go to our church. See, I'm not real bright. But I figured that's the best thing to do. That's a good swap. Eat, sleep, free, go to church. Sunday morning I walked the aisle and gave my heart to Christ. I'm driving to work the next day. And the guy I worked with in a truck named Sam, Frank Sams, he uh, about the foul mouthest man I ever met in my life. He'd say five words, three of them cuss words. I thought, what am I going to do if Frank starts cussing? Now something inside me, the Holy Spirit, I didn't know it then. He said, you're going to speak up for Jesus. And I said, oh, I'm scared. But if you'll help me, I will. We got in the truck, sure enough. Now Frank, he was foul-mouthed, but he was the most, oh, what's a good word, coordinated man I've ever seen. He could dip snuff, chew tobacco, smoke a cigar, and drink water at the same time. Now that's coordinated. He was level-headed. It came down both sides of his face at once. We had a safety meeting on mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Mm. We got out of there and I said, Frank, you know I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be saved. But if we're on the job and you get hurt and I'll save you is mouth to mouth and I'm the only one there, it's goodbye, Frank. <laughs> he said, you let me die. I said, just like that. I'm not kissing something like that. No. Get your finger down in there. and <laughs> So he checked out one of these tubes about that long and you stick down a guy's throat and breathe. I said, that's all that saved you. Oh, anyway, we get in the truck. We start to back out. Frank's driving. He starts cussing. I said, stop the truck. He hit the brakes and he looked in them. He said, what is it? I said, Frank, I got saved yesterday and I don't want to have to put up with your cussing. He smiled, old brown teeth. You got religion, did you? I said, no, sir, I had religion. I got Jesus yesterday. My superintendent, after about a week or so, called me in and said, what's happened to Frank? I said, I don't know. He said, he's not cussing like he used to. I said, oh no, sir, I'm preaching to him. <laughs> Mr. Hardcastle said, keep preaching, man. Just keep preaching. I knew I was supposed to talk for Jesus. Nobody told me that but him. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? When you and I are born again, our heart is changed. We get a new heart. Your flesh never gets saved. You have to crucify it every day. God gave you a new heart, a new life. 
God is so concerned about the inside because He wants our outside to match what's on the inside so that He can be glorified. Let's bow our heads. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. God is so concerned, folks, that what we have on the inside is what is seen on the outside. Paul says that we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. The spirit's on the inside, the body's on the outside. Revival can come, but only when God's people begin to be inwardly and outwardly God's people. This world crucified our Savior. This world is going to war against Him when He comes back. Let's not be friends with the enemy. Let's be God's people.